Hey y'all and welcome back. Thank you for joining us this week on Gimme the Creeps with Abby and Daniela. A quick announcement, we now have a link tree in our bios of our socials. So on Instagram at G-I-M-M-E, the creeps, and on our Twitter, we now have a link to our link tree where you can find resources in case of domestic violence or things of that nature. So please check that out and let people know that you can find multiple links pertaining to what we do. So thank you guys. Just a quick little announcement. What else? Um, Oh, it's our 99th episode, you guys. Um, And I think I speak for both of us when I say we can't tell you enough how much we appreciate your ears. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, our 99th, so that's exciting, and we're so honored and delighted to be doing this. I was scrolling through our older episodes, and I flipped through my old notes and planned episodes, and I realized that I haven't covered anything. I haven't covered anything having to do with stalkers. Hey. Oh right? God. God. Ugh. Just makes my stomach turn thinking about it. Um, Stories about stalking are just so awful. You feel uneasy thinking about the possibility of someone constantly watching you, thinking about you, and what they might do. And when I think of creeps in real life, I think stalkers are among the top, especially when they are really good at staying hidden. You never know if you'll be able to find them or if you'll even know that they're doing it in the first place. They, you know, eventually become serial killers. So, I just wanted to do that before we hit our 100th episode, which will be very special, by the way. So stay tuned for that um, in the following week. Damn. And Roe v. Wade obviously mentions right to privacy. So way to uh, relate that back, eh? What a full circle. Indeed. So before we get started on the main topic of today, I wanted to take it over to the stalking fact sheet for some stories jarring statistics. Oh, good. So on stalkingawareness.org, you can find all of this information. And other websites also gather information, but they want like your personal information, I guess, in case you happen to be a victim and they don't want like other people being able to access that uh, help or whatever. So you'd have to like log in and stuff. But this is a free fact sheet. And um, what is stalking? While legal definitions of stalking vary between jurisdictions, a good working definition of stalking is a pattern of behavior directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to fear for their safety or the safety of others or suffer substantial emotional distress. Stalking victimization. An estimated 13.5 million people are stalked in a one-year period in the U.S. Jesus. Nearly one in three women and one in six men have experienced stalking victimization at some point in their lifetime. Mm. That is really fucking scary. I I mean, I thought it was pretty common, but one in three women versus one in one in six men. I mean, I guess I don't know. It just it sounds pretty scary. So more than half of all victims of stalking indicated that they were stalked before the age of 25 and nearly one in four were stalked before the age of 18. Jesus. Mm-mm. The vast majority of stalking victims are stalked by someone they know. Ugh. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 40% by a current or former intimate partner, 42% by an acquaintance, 69% of females and 80% of male stalking victims were threatened with physical harm. 
People aged 18 to 24 experience the highest rate of stalking victimization among adults. Stalkers use many tactics, including making unwanted phone calls, approaching the victim, or showing up in places when the victim does not want them to be uh, there, and following and watching the victim, sending unwanted texts, photos, emails, and messages through social media, sending unwanted gifts, using technology to monitor, track, and or spy on the victim. Almost half of stalking victims experience at least one unwanted contact per week, and 11% of stalking victims have been stalked for five years or more. Jeez. And more than twice as many victims are stalked with technology than without. Um, so it probably has changed over the years. Stalking has many forms, uh, and there's way more to that fact sheet, so you can go check that out yourself. Uh, I just wanted to mention a few of those because, wow. I didn't know it was that serious. I mean, it is very serious, but the numbers are just crazy. So really quick before we jump in, what are your thoughts on stalking? It's fucking creepy. I've listened to like a shit ton of the let's not meet and Mm. other shit like that. And that's fucking terrifying. So I can't even imagine like something so consistent. Yeah. Mm-mm, I can't either. Like looking over your shoulder. I mean, it's pretty intense. People have to relocate or, you know, uplift their whole lives and get restraining orders, which feel like a joke when the person that's stalking you is deranged. I mean, what's a piece of paper going to do Well, in the moment? I don't understand the thing about like uh, restraining orders because like a lot of the things that I've heard are like that it's super hard to get one mm-hmm. and then once you get it, it's like it doesn't do anything. So why the fuck yeah. is it so fucking hard to get it if it really doesn't even do anything? Like, I, I don't- know. It would have to be like a device that like if they're there, it's going to explode because they're there. Like that's the only thing that would make me feel safe, I feel. I, I feel so bad for people who have to oh, rulely- rely on uh, like authorities for that. Yeah. But they should do like what they do for like whenever you steal money from like a bank and like the the money has like color right there you go explodes that is a good idea something like that to where like you can prove they were there because I mean three hundred feet or I don't remember um, the specifics for restraining order but I mean if you can see them like that still fucking scares you and bothers you even though they're following the law like how annoying yeah. And that's an understatement. But so anyway, um, I feel really bad for people who have gone through it. And then the PTSD, just I can't. Um, Yes, the PTSD. That's just so horrible. Like picturing them in the crowd. I saw a movie called Unsane on Hulu. And this woman uh, even goes to a facility, not voluntarily, I'll have you know. Like it's a really good movie. I I recommend it. I think it's on Hulu. Um, Unsane. Uh, She goes to a facility and everything. And she even thinks she sees him in the facility there. And nobody's like listening. And I don't want to – no spoilers. We don't know. Like can she rely on her memory and her mind? Or is she still being stalked? Like it's just so scary. Anyways. um, So now that we discussed that – There's also cyber stalking now where home surveillance can be hacked. And then, um, you know, back in the time of like black and white television, there were, you know, telephones and peeping toms, but I'm sure it's like gone way elevated since then. Right. Um, And so with that, let's dive into one of the creepiest unsolved cases of stalking I have ever heard. And I will warn you that this case may disturb you and you will begin to see how as we go. And you might have heard it. Um, This is a pretty common uh, 
case I think that people discuss because it's just so bizarre. I used an All Things Interesting article by Kara Johnson, and it was updated May 21st, 2022. So it's very fresh that people are still bringing up this case. Mm-hmm. Cynthia Elizabeth Hack was born on June 12, 1944, in British Columbia, to Otto and Tilly Hack. Otto was a retired Air Force colonel, and Tilly took care of the household and um, her six children in total. Cindy pursued a nursing career after high school and met a man named Roy Makepeace. He was a physician nearly 20 years her senior, but five months after she graduated from nursing school in 1966, they got married. For a while, Cindy was happy in her daily life being married and working at a treatment center for children with emotional and behavioral issues. Sadly, this contentment would not last. Uh, Cindy and Roy split in July of 1982. On October 7th, 1982, Cindy received the first phone call of Minnie. She reported that when she answered, all she heard was a voice whispering her name into the receiver. Freaked out, she would hang up And once, she closed her blinds after a call, only to have the mysterious caller ring back and say, no use hiding, I know you're in the living room, Cindy. Oh my fucking God. I can't even. I can't even. Mm -mm. Hell no. Mm -mm. No, thank you. In the 80s? Like, come on, that's like prime crime. 70s, 80s? Mm -mm. Yep. Oh, no. (sighs) Dude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I used to watch this YouTube channel uh, called Something Scary, and it was, like, a story that she did on some, like, it was supposed to be a banshee or whatever, and Mm. this girl is home alone, and she walks downstairs, and from the stairs, she can see the kitchen window, Mm. so she fucking looks at the window as she's walking down the stairs and all she can see is this fucking haggard ass old lady just staring mm-hmm. in it through the darkness like and i was like fuck nightmare oh, fuel literally scarred me for life so i can't even like uh nope that oh i imagine that constantly like walking into the room and turning on the light and someone has their hands up against the window right there like yes. no 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 Yes, dude. So God, terrifying. Michael Myers shit. I can't. No, but really? Because like why? Even I, I laugh now because my mom would always mention like that's rude if you're, you know, ringing the doorbell and you're looking through people's windows, seeing if they're coming to the door. But um, <laughs> that's, that's one thing. But oh my God, when people are walking around the house trying to look inside, like hell no. For what? Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Ring like, the doorbell. Waitress. Like fuck. <laughs> if i don't come to the door within like then i'm not answering it leave get the fuck out of here trespassers will be shot like fuck (laughs) (laughs) and you set up your house to the there's like an alarm trigger if they step (laughs) off the porch (laughs) (laughs) go out there with your gun there's just a fucking raccoon standing there like damn Oh, that's fucking funny. Oh, God. So scary. Um, so, uh, so somebody's watching her and making these calls. Um, in the following two weeks, she reported rocks being thrown at her window, broken porch lights, and upon returning to her bedroom one evening, her pillow had been slashed. Mm-mm. Uh, 
They um, came in her house? into her. Yes, they came into her home and slashed a pillow. What the fuck? Oh no, no! Right? Mm-mm. It's like one simple like thing, but that. But is you know, you didn't do it. Fucking scary. Yeah, like they came in. Right. With a weapon and they fucked up your phone. Fa- oh, Only that. Like they didn't touch anything else. They just wanted you to notice like they slashed your phone. so creepy. be able to stay there. Like did That's she how stay I feel. There? Yes. What the fuck? I would have been. They can right. get in your house. Like- exactly. And she has a dog and she goes to work and she comes home and she's separated from her uh, husband. So it's just her. I would and, be scared yeah. for the dog too. Like, I know. That's exactly what I thought. And uh and yeah, they only have landline telephones, so if she's not home, who knows what's going on? But then when she's home, that's all she's got. She doesn't have surveillance, she doesn't got a ring doorbell, nothing. Okay. <clears throat> and before y'all say the next part is corny, people didn't have printers and typewriters were like not cheap. They were about 18 they were about $800 in the oh, 1980s. God damn. Yeah, $800 and I don't even know what the currency the, you know, thing is for 1980, and I don't do math. I'm a cryptid, so let's move on. <laughs> uh, thank you. A little callback. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cindy found a message with magazine letters cut out to write the words soon, Cindy, with a comma. I wouldn't. I see where. I see. Yeah, it is. It's corny. It's corny now, but at the time, like someone fucking had to meticulously cut all those little things out because they didn't want to put their little handwriting down on a sheet of paper. <laughs> That's how it was done. That is exactly how it was done. Back That's then, it was creepy. Tough. Now, it's like a fun little game. <laughs> yeah. Back then, I would have probably still laughed. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Right. Cindy found a message with magazine letters cut out to write the word soon Cindy, comma, and then her telephone line was cut. I'm not sure if she tried to like immediately call the police. Like there's this weird note. Uh, I'm not sure if she realized it later on, but she realized that the telephone line was cut. And um, because of these threatening events happening to her, she was obviously in contact quite a bit with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And, um, well, that sense of security leveled up when she started seeing the one of the officers romantically that she met. Officer Pat McBride moved in with her temporarily in November of 1982 after more notes and distressing images were left outside of her home for her to find. that. So he's staying with her for a little bit, and almost immediately after moving in, McBride found a man in the alley behind her home. It was her ex-husband, Roy, and he had two guns on him. He was double strapped up. He was just walking around behind her house in the alley. Um, McBride asked what the fuck he was doing out there, and Roy was probably like, what the fuck are you doing here? Anyway, um, so Roy was like, I'm trying to keep her safe, but what the hell are you doing here? And he said, yeah, he was just patrolling the area to keep Cindy safe. So I guess McBride, the officer, didn't really worry about him too much. But I would still be like, what the hell? How long have you been patrolling her area? You ain't seen nothing around here? Yeah, like what? That would be very <laughs> suspicious. Right. That's kind of weird. And I don't even know if she knew he was out there. But anywho, so that happened. But after a month, McBride moved out. I guess nothing was going on and maybe she felt safe again. I don't know. But uh, the stalker turns things up a notch or a few notches. 
On January 27, 1983, Agnes, a friend, comes over and looks for Sydney. Oh my God, I want to say Sydney so bad. Scream. <laughs> exactly. Surprise, Sydney. Hey, but okay. Cindy is uh, the name of the chick from Scary Movie, so it fits. Exactly. It does fit. Love her. Anna Ferris, shout out. Okay. <clears throat> so Agnes comes over and she's looking for Cindy and she's like, nowhere to be found. Girl, she's in the garage with a black nylon stocking tied around her neck. <gasps> And she had also been attacked with a sharp object, um, apparently. She told police that she heard a oh, knock at the alive. back door. Yes, she was alive. So <laughs> she's tied up and they get the police over there. And she tells them she heard a knock at the back door and a man forced her to the garage and attacked her. But then in other articles that I read, they said she was moving boxes to the garage. So she was already in there and he just kind of snuck his way in there and then tied her up and shit. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then some, some areas of what I read, they like leave this part out, but apparently there was always like superficial wounds on her. So like bruising and scratches. So like there was a struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and you'll realize why I mentioned that later on, but so she was attacked and there was a nylon around her neck but dude, she failed two polygraph tests. And don't ask me why they, they had her take them. I guess what? maybe her story wasn't making sense. I don't know why they had her take some polygraphs. They usually don't put victims on the line it or something like that. It was the 80s, though. They fucking... They're gaslighting her already. She's yeah. like, I was attacked. Okay. So, okay. It's attackers, suddenly, and not just a singular attacker because she claimed that she recognized one. So that means we're, we're there too. So this is where it starts getting a little foggy when it's escalating to her being in person with her attackers, not just being sent messages. Mm-hmm. Um, so the police are already like, what the heck? So they give her this polygraph. She says she recognized one but refused to name him, claiming that he threatened to go after her family. Mm-hmm. Um, a year after this all started, October of 1983 – Three dead cats are hung from trees in her yard. One with a note. I know. I hate the animal cruelty. For what reason? For what reason? I was already fucking scared. Like, okay. Yeah. So three dead cats are hung from trees in her yard. One with a note reading, you are next. Oh, my God. Uh, Was that also magazine letters? Because somebody needs to be testing that handwriting. But I guess, I don't know, back then what they did. You killed these cats. Bring it, motherfucker. I will kill That's you before you exactly. try to kill me. And you the killed dog. these fucking cats. Exactly. It's It's gone too far now. But private investigator Ozzy Caban is hired by Cindy to do what the police couldn't. And he gives her a two-way radio to stay in constant communication with her. Um, he's so serious about nailing this scary stalker. I guess the, the police didn't seem that interested but Mm -hmm. on january 30th 1984 so some time has passed he overhears odd commotion coming from her house through the radio um he rushes over and finds cindy unconscious on the floor with black nylon tied around her neck and a note stabbed through the back of her hand with a paring knife the note the note read now you must die comma c so why are they not finishing the job then? Like they keep I have no idea. threatening this shit, but not actually killing her. 
Um, I read I mean, one quote. That I, like, want her to die, no, but... I know, right? Like, I, you, I would be over there being stalked, being like, just get it over with. I'm yeah, tired of this. this <laughs> <already> horrible. <laughs> I got so, just to pay. I got shit. I keep yeah, waiting I don't for have you to time kill for this. me. And... <laughs> uh, just go stand out in the yard until they show up. <laughs> Hands on your hips. Just You're waiting around. for the damn bus outside. <clears throat> Uh, so, um, (laughs) and I also don't know, like, are her neighbors, like, too far? They can't hear a struggle? Like, I don't know. Maybe she doesn't have time to scream. They just show up in her house like a ghost, and she's just knocked out all of a sudden with all this I can see why the cops didn't believe her then. Because I would have, those questions would also Right, because, and they do, yeah, and they do mention each time, like, no sign of forced entry once again. So it's, like, weird. Um, Mm -hmm. Caban, or Caban, later said that she told him she noticed a man coming through her gate. And the next thing she remembers is being hit on the side of the head with a piece of wood or something of that nature. She recalls being held down on the floor and a needle going into her arm. At this point, the police become suspicious because no sign of forced entry. And although there was a needle mark in her arm, there were no substances in her system. What? What? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And once again, I don't have the details. Like, what tests did they run? Like, did they look in her blood? Did they look like, I need more specifics. How do they know there's no there's no substances? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, so they keep looking into this bizarre harassment that's been going on, and they bring in Makepeace, her ex-husband Roy, to question him after Cindy told them that he had been violent with her during their marriage. So now he's kind of like a suspect. Oh, shit. And I think at one point they record or they listen into a call that's between Cindy and Roy where she's confronting him about her thinking it's him. And he doesn't seem like irrational about it. He just denies it like he would never do that. Um, he doesn't know who would, like that kind of thing. So they don't think that he really did it, but they do question him when she brings up the violence. Um Cindy was then attacked again in July of 1984. And was found, once again, with a nylon tied around her neck and another needle mark in her arm. Police tapped her phone and monitored her home, and months passed without a peep. And then they stopped patrolling her so closely again. Nearly $1 million had been used to investigate this case. Still no arrests and not even close to having a suspect. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and she's paying this private detective. I don't know how long she paid him or how long he was on the job, at least for maybe six months, because um, he was able to hear that odd commotion, which I want to know what exactly did you hear to rush over. Right. Um, she was struggling with herself, according to the police. Um, so the following year, December 11th, 1985, Cindy wakes up in a ditch six miles from her home with needle marks and a stocking around her neck. Oh, my God. But when she was found, she was dazed and semi-conscious lying in a ditch. And a jogger, I think, found her and called the police. And she was wearing a man's work boot and glove and suffering from hypothermia. And cuts and bruises covered her body. So very bizarre. And this time she's nowhere – like, she's six miles from her house. Like, she's not in her garage or anything like that. And did um, they test her again for what, like, what the needle oh, the could lab, have injected? Yeah. I guess, um, because it doesn't say that they found anything 
in her system again. They didn't mm-hmm. mention anything. She just had the needle mark again. Um, what so, if it was like a poison? like uh, Right, that you can't find in yeah, your body. It made me think of fucking uh, – the fuck is that? Belladonna. What is that? Belladonna? Yes. It's a plant. It's a poison if you like make it into like – I don't I think you can make like teas out of it. I mean, there are tests for those kind of things now, but But people don't, don't jump to that whenever they find someone dead, they're not like that. Yeah. Down. And I don't know in the eighties if they like had oh, tests for that or whatever. But true. Um now they have tests for shit like that. Like Right. And this is in Canada too, so I'm I'm getting I'm thinking that it's here that this happened. Oh, I don't, know. I I don't cover that, that many. Shit, yeah. yeah, I don't really cover too many Canadian crimes, so I'm not sure like what the level oh, of technology. We have Canadian listeners, too. we sure, I'm sure do. We are they appreciate sh- the story. Oh, good. Yeah, because it's. Uh, I mean, we all think it's unsolved, but the police think it is solved. So let's go. Um, she woke up and like tells them that I guess she didn't know what happened to her. I don't know, but. She is super afraid because this is still happening. And so Agnes and her husband then um, start staying with Cindy in her house. And on April, um, in April of 1986, Cindy ran into their bedroom and said that she'd heard a noise. And Tom, Agnes's husband, said that he heard it too. And it was like a loud thump. So he runs down the stairs and he finds that her basement is engulfed in flames. (gasps) So Agnes said that they discovered that the basement was in flames, and she says, so I ran to the phone, and the phone was dead. So Tom went outside and got the neighbor and asked if he could call the fire department, and when he went out, there was a man standing on the curb, and Tom asked him, uh, asked him, like, call 911, and he ran down the street. The man? The man. So, okay, so now we have a person. Witness of something, right, exactly. Um, and it couldn't have been Cindy because she ran back inside to get her dog. She like risked her life to go back inside to oh, get her dog. I would have done the same shit. Oh my god. Me too. So it's like catch who did it and run after them, or go inside and get your dog, girl. Yeah, I'd be like, fuck that, dude. I'm saving the mm-hmm. dog. Um. So yeah. So once again, the police suspected that Cindy staged the incident. But the man. I know, but the, exactly. Who knows? Unless maybe he did run off to go call 911. Who knows? Um, but uh, once again, the police suspected that Cindy sh- staged the incident, and reporter Neil Hall said that Cindy's behavior that night was odd. There was no dust or fingerprints disturbed on the outside of the windowsill, but somebody set the fire from inside the home and would have had to climb through the window. Now that should have been one sign. Also, she said that she was out walking her dog late at night that night, now, if somebody was being attacked, why would they go out alone walking their dog three o'clock in the morning? Does that make sense? It was three o'clock in the morning. Yes, apparently. And I, I but at the same time, um, I don't know when she walked her dog. I don't know if he's like phrasing it that way. Like maybe did she walk her dog at eight and then went to bed and then oh my god, there's a fire. Um, it's like not lined up. So where, how is he deciding that? I get what he's saying, like going out by yourself to walk your dog at all while you have a stalker. Like, why would you? Yeah. But the 3 a.m. thing, I don't know if that means that that's when the fire happened or if he she walked the dog at 3 a.m. and the fire happened after that. I don't know. Um, that's a weird – I mean, like I've had to take the dogs out at like – Oh, maybe that's what time, she meant. But like 
a full ass like walk. Right. I guess that's how she worded it to the police. And so they just took that and ran with it. I don't know. Um, hmm. So he told investigators he'd seen a man, uh, Tom, Agnes's husband, said that uh, he'd seen a man standing outside on the street who ran away when he approached him. But police believed Cindy had set the fire herself anyway. Um, once again, the issue was how did a person come inside if there was no dust prints or fingerprints anywhere, not even outside on the windowsills. Um, the fire was started inside the house. Eerie. What the fuck? How did they get inside? Um, so Yeah, what the fuck? That's- so at this point, Cindy was admitted to a psych ward and spent 10 weeks there. What? Wait, was mm-hmm. it because they thought she was the one doing it? I or guess so. she just had like a mental breakdown? Uh, I would have gone in there just to stay away from whoever's come to my damn house. But but still sad. And yeah, the dog. That's also another thing. I I wish I just had the full story of everything. Okay. But yes. So um, yeah. So she goes in there for 10 weeks and two different psychiatrists determined she had been staging her own attacks while suffering psychotic breaks. What? Yep. But um, Cindy's psychotherapist, Alan Connolly, said, I think one of the things she found most difficult was that people didn't believe her. She was always doubted. She knew she was doubted, and that was what slowly drove her crazy, the fact that she wasn't believed. Oh, my God. That's like every horror movie. That's what I was going to say. That's what scares me the most is people not believing me, like Rosemary's Baby type shit. Oh, Yeah. Um, but I guess his point here is like, maybe it started out that she did have a stalker. And so then she just wanted it to seem solid. So she started tying herself up and stuff and hurting herself to get them to believe her. So she really wasn't, or that's not the end of the story. We don't know. Even, even after I finish the story, we're not going to know. Yes, girl. I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite things to hear about. Cause I still don't know. I'm like, Oh my God, Abby. I know. I had to do it. I had to do it. Episode 99. Um, So James also wrote in a journal, and I don't know who this James person is, but um, somebody wrote in a journal. Oh, no. James is Cindy's last name. I'm such an idiot. I can't believe it. (laughs) This whole time I'm referring to her by her first name, and in this point in the notes, I said her last name. My bad. So Cindy. I'm like, who the hell? (laughs) I started telling a whole other story. Anyways. This James person wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I'm lost. Y'all don't listen to me. Um, So Cindy wrote in a journal, I still feel suicide is my best option in an unbearable situation. And as soon as I get out of here, I will carry out my plan. Okay. That is where they don't let you out then. I know. I would think that. But girl, they let her out. Um, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Maybe they didn't see that entry until after she was out, but at some point she's like, this unbearable situation is too much, so once I'm out of here, I'm going to just carry out my plan. And so she gets out after 10 weeks, and she lost her job, and when she was released, she changed her last name from Makepeace, her ex-husband's name, to James, and moved to a new home. So she was trying to, like, start over. Why didn't she do that? I mean, that's once again where I'd be like – yeah. Man, if you really had a stalker, you could have – you know what? Never mind. Nope. Scratch what I said because it's I don't not know. that easy. Right. And then the money, like I, yeah, her ex-husband wasn't like, come, let's switch houses. Like, let's 
let me relocate you. Like, I don't know. And her parents too. I don't know. I just, I'm a little bit like, is this not that serious then? Or so she relocates. She had lost her job and then she relocates and she is seeing a therapist still at this time and seems to be improving remarkably. Like her mental health is much better. And for about a year, silence, nothing to report, nothing going on, no harassment. And then in October of 1988, it's always like an anniversary or something in October, but in 1988, Cindy James was found unconscious in her car, parked at home, naked from the waist down, hogtied, and once again with a black nylon around her neck. What? Yes, in her car. Like, what? What What the? Mm-mm. I, there, mm-mm. I don't know about all that. I don't know either. I don't know. She's in the car, hogtied. I, I, I hate to say it, but like, I need to see pictures because if they think she's doing this to herself, like, I need to know what, like, in what way, like, what would they be able to say she could do while she's hogtied? I don't know. Right. And then, like I said, a lot of the superficial things like scratches on her body and bruising and things like that. Mm-hmm. I just, the thing, I want to believe her, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of things, but who knows? The stalker could have done all of that shit just yeah, to for make them it to seem doubt like her. she's crazy. That's what I was thinking. Like, if they—that's what scares me. If the stalker is so good at not being caught, because they want to keep stalking you, and they don't even want you dead. That's how much they want to keep stalking you. They'll—they'll they'll scare you to death, is what she said um, to Agnes. I have to find the quote, but at some point, Agnes is talking to her about it, and she's like, "He doesn't want me dead. He wants to scare me to death." And I was yeah. like, "Yo, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. That's really horrible." And the fact that I mean. I don't think she's been sexually assaulted. I don't know if they ask her or if they check her for that, but um, this person might just get off on, you know, scaring her so badly. Yeah, like driving her to, like, kill herself. And that, exactly. Like, if she to that point where she doesn't even want to be alive, like, geez, that's mm-hmm. awful. Just um, making her life miserable, yeah. That's right. Um, so she – oh, goodness. So um, where did it go? Okay. Uh, And yeah, and she has the black nylon around her neck again. So it's become like a staple. And she said it could be her ex-husband. She believed that it was and told the the cops that finally, like, I really do think it is my ex-husband. He had been out of the country when one of the attacks took place and then him denying it over and over, um, they didn't believe her. So they didn't take her seriously when she straight out said, like, it might be my ex. Um, and just because he was out of the country for one of the attacks, like she said, it might be more than one guy or person. Right. Um, so that's not out of the question for me that it was him. But time passes and the mysterious stalker is still unknown. On May 25th, 1989, Cindy goes missing after having deposited her paycheck um, from her new nursing job, buying a gift for uh, a friend's son, and going to the salon and then buying groceries. So after a full busy day, she's just not home. She's missing. Agnes had shown up um, for a card game that had been planned, and she wasn't there. Inside the house, apparently the cards were set up and everything, so she was expecting her. She just never came home. Oh, my God. 
The car is missing. She's just – she has disappeared. Oh, the um, car is missing. Yeah, she's not there. Oh, yeah, I, that's the big the big thing. Her car mm. wasn't there, so that's why um, – because what Agnes had said was usually when she honks the horn, all cutesy, Cindy is all excited at the window, like waving at her, like, okay, good, you're here. But when she honked the horn and Cindy didn't come out, that's when she went to the door because she noticed the car was gone. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she wasn't there. So her car was found at the mall parking lot um, – with blood on the driver's side door and things from her wallet underneath the car. Like outside. Oh, yes. Duh. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> no, from the bottom of, there's a hole. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, okay. So, and then the groceries and the wrapped gift are in the back seat. So, what the hell? There's no Cindy, but all this stuff is here. And then she dropped like important stuff from her wallet under the car, or was it placed there? Because they seem to think that it doesn't look like it dropped. They just like placed her stuff underneath the car. So, right. um, on June 8th, on June 8th, 1989, a city employee, Don Vinish, finds Cindy's body in the yard of an abandoned house. A cord was wrapped around one ankle and wrist, and her face was black from being punched. What? Like completely black. Yeah, like word for word, that's what he said. Like her face is completely black. And they believe it's from being hit, like smashed in. Yeah, horrible, just violent. Um, Vinish says uh, it definitely wasn't a suicide, and this is the person that found her. Like he first stumbled upon her. He's like, this couldn't have been a suicide. Mm. The position of her body was just too weird. Um, Police found a lethal dose of morphine in her system this time, and um, it would have needed 15 minutes to take full effect. So a knot specialist specialist determined that she could have tied the knot in three minutes. I mean, and she did have access to morphine if she was a nurse, right? Oh, that's a that's something I hadn't thought of. And needles how just gets morphine, like you know what I mean. The wild part is, is I don't think they found a syringe though around her or like at all, like by her body. She would have had to like walk to that spot, I think. Oh, and it was far from the mall. And then hogtie her. I didn't look that up, and what I should. What if she like was walking and she like injects herself as she's walking and just yeah. drops the needle and then keeps walking. Yeah. That would have been that's what I'm saying like if the police think it's a suicide freaking prove that then like yeah. Were there mo- like did they have reports of morphine missing from her clinic? Like give mm-hmm. me more. Yeah, do but some no. actual investigating. Yeah. Thank you. Instead exactly. Of just assuming shit. Yeah. <sighs> well, Otto, her father. Exactly. They were just like, oh, good. Good job. Job well done, men. Yeah. It's solved. Um, So Otto, her father, claims the police didn't even bother to investigate the death from a homicide's perspective. They simply tried to concoct how she did it herself. Jeez. I said it was the 80s, but like some of that shit happens now still too. True. Lazy ass cops. Um, Not all, but some. Agreed. Um, not all people are meant to be cops, as we see with the freaking Uvalde situation. Oh, shit. Um, so he continued, her father, uh, by saying, there's no way that she could have been able, after ingesting that amount of drugs, to tie herself up. There was absolutely nothing at the crime scene to indicate that she had used any form of syringe. Um, but yeah, so they ruled it a suicide and didn't take another moment on the case. Oh my god! 
There, um, there may never be answers to these questions, but what's undeniable is, as forensic psychiatrist Anthony Marcus once put it, this woman was under siege from whatever source, inside or out. Tilly Hack, Cindy's mother, said Cindy told her she didn't recognize the voice. She said it was just a voice. Sometimes it would change the sound, and sometimes it was just whispering. Sometimes it was just nothing, just silence in the phone calls, referring to the phone calls. Um, Cindy's mother thinks that she knows the reason for her daughter's reluctance. Cindy told me that after she was attacked, the knife was held at her throat, and she was told that if you talk, your sister will be next and then your mother. So just keep quiet and don't tell anything. What the fuck? Um, Police investigators at the scene of the suicide slash murder um, that's walled off by yellow crime tape, but was it a suicide or a murder? Auto hack, Cindy's father felt her daughter wasn't telling everything she knew. Of course, I think we should add a qualifier there that she was very, very reluctant to talk about this right to the end, and our feeling was that she was withholding something extremely vital. And then according to Ozzy Cabin, she wouldn't tell them the entire story. She would be evasive, she would withhold information, and she simply would not act as a normal victim would act. What is what is a normal victim? Okay, anyways. <sighs> Uh, and I can see where a police officer would have a tremendous amount of problem believing her story. But some, uh, but to some, the incidents and her stories of harassment seemed suspicious. Neil Hall covered the story for Vancouver Sun, for the Vancouver Sun. There was never a fingerprint from a suspect. There was no independent corroboration. Cindy saw that, saw this person, or sometimes she said there were two, sometimes three people, one and a half million dollars. It's been estimated that the police spent investigating Cindy James complaints, more than a hundred incidents, and they could never find a suspect more than a hundred incidents. So calls, attacks, all of that stuff. And they couldn't find anybody. So just Cindy. Right. So she, that's all they had was her word. Like, what happened here? And she's, like, tied up and shit. Um, So, yeah, it, like, happened when people weren't around. And then every time, you know, they were patrolling her area, nothing would happen. When Agnes and Tom came, the only thing was that fire. Um, I don't know. So did she fake it half the time or just towards the end when it was escalating? Who knows if, according to them, that she faked it. Um, Cindy's mother doesn't think that it was odd that there wasn't a suspect, I guess. When the police were watching the house, we would say to them, well, you know, if it's somebody doing that, then sure as heck he knows you're there. And of course, nobody will do anything while you're sitting there and watching. Oh, yeah. See her point. See her point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Cindy was 44 when she succumbed to whatever was happening to her. And I feel for her. It seems she didn't have a moment's rest in her mind, even when things were quiet. Her friends tried to help her and her family doesn't believe that she did this to herself for all these years. So was she gaslit by the police? What um, do you think? I it could if they would have done like better investigating, I feel like there would have been a more definitive answer, but they fucking mm-hmm. didn't. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Like there are so many possibilities. And you said that she went to the bank to deposit her your paycheck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She didn't take money out? Mm-mm. Okay, never mind then. But then that's the thing too is like was she going out of her way to stage it? Like, okay, I would yeah. have expected – like I'm going to do it the day that 
or the day before um, my friend is coming over because then she'll know like, oh, I need to go look for her. Where is she at? Then they'll know to find the car. Then they'll know to find – look out for her body next. I don't know. Um, She's a nurse. She's a smart lady. Um, Mm. But but all that with the getting a new house and the changing her name, like why would she – Unless, like the doctor said, it was a psychotic break that would cause all of this. Like she would go manic and start planning it out, and right. I don't know for attention or you know, um, I don't know. And I want to know more about her ex husband too, and how their marriage was, and why didn't did he care to like try to help her or intervene with this situation? I mean, he stayed there at her house. No, he didn't. The officer that um. Oh, yeah. You said, okay, yeah. When he was patrolling behind the alley, yeah. But I would have moved back in or something Wait, to be like. who was in the room or in the house whenever the fire started? Tom and Agnes, her married friends. Oh, I thought it was her ex-husband that stayed. Mm, I wish. Her friend. I'd be having a group stay with me if that shit was happening. Well, yeah, but then I would be like Slumber nervous. party. Either way. And then, then we'd all, you know. Beat the shit out of him when he came in the house. I mean, like, hand, like on Handsmaid's Tale. Oh, <laughs> you better run! Y'all fucking I do chase like him. That. <laughs> 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 Gotta stick together. My goodness. Um, so, um, what bothers me about this one is if she reported harassment over and over and they couldn't catch him, that's very terrifying. But if she was doing all of this to herself up till suicide, that's disturbing and very unfortunate. That. Um, it might have to have something to do with her mental disorder or like a condition. It's just horrible all the way around. Um, but now I'm going to take it over to this well-written site, Stories of the Unsolved, dated January 25th, 2022, so we can tie up some loose ends. And also some details of events are slightly different, like the instance that she was found in her car. There was duct tape in her mouth on her mouth this time. So, I mean, she could have placed it on her own mouth. And then tied her hands or hogtied herself, I guess, according to the police. But that was one difference that it wasn't just like the nylon. And I don't know if she was unconscious or or what mm-hmm. before they put the tape on her mouth. But that was one difference that I found in a few different articles that I didn't find in the one that I used. Um, so there's a few – and other podcasts and stuff have covered it. So if there are some differences, please forgive me. <laughs> um and yeah, and stay till the end to hear the haunting message that was recording recorded of a call that she received. It was on the voicemail of her ex-husband. And I'm not sure if he received it right when she was missing or after she went missing. But um, there's a voicemail that's to Cindy, but it's called, he, they called her ex-husband. So they, they have it. Who knows? So that is one thing that it does make it seem like she did that. She called her husband. Anyways, yeah. sending a message to herself. Um so here we go. Let me take it over to this. So Wait yeah, here are some. What? Why would you, if this killer, or if it was someone else, and you killed her, you knew that she was dead, mm-hmm. why the fuck would you send a message to her? Like, why would you just not talk directly to the ex-husband and be like, your wife or your ex-wife is Maybe dead. Maybe he now. wasn't home. Maybe I mean, either home. way, like, why are you? You know what you did to her, so why would you send a message to her? Like, she's right. never gonna hear it. And the ex-husband 
clearly doesn't care. Like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Me neither. I was looking everywhere for, like, more info on how they got this um, voicemail, essentially. Because it's the 80s, too. So I'm like, how long has this person had a machine? And why aren't there more recorded messages? I only found this one. There might be more, though. Um, And then, like I said, I have a theory. So remind me if I forget to bring up at the end. But um, so... Here are some details this site gives about her going missing and what happened during this time. Uh, Stories of the Unsolved. So, so like I said, on May 25th, 1989, she disappeared just before a five-day leave. So this is why I came over here because I didn't know she was about to go on vacay um, from her job. She arranged for Agnes and Tom to come over and play bridge later that night. So, yes, we knew that. And the pair arrived at her home around 10 p.m. This is what I need. I need timestamps. I need timestamps. So as she usually did, and Agnes honked as she pulled into the driveway and immediately felt something wasn't right. Cindy typically peeked through the drapes and waved at them, but not this time. As well, her blue 1981 Chevy uh, Citation wasn't on the premises. Agnes knocked on the door and still didn't receive a response. As Cindy had recently begun renting out her basement. See, that's not something I fucking knew. And she and Tom went to speak to the tenant, a life insurance agent named Richard Johnston, but he didn't know where she was. Unsure of what to do next, they returned to their car and waited several minutes before deciding to head home and call the police. See, that is some shit I would have liked to know before they're just trying to tell me that she did this to herself. Anyways. So on the way, Agnes decided to drive by Blundell Center, a shopping mall where Cindy did her banking. What if it's Agnes and Tom? Okay, stop. I got to wait. Let me wait. Let me wait. (laughs) They're like, let's see if she's still at the mall. So they found her car in the parking lot. So they are the ones that found the car Mm -hmm. close to her usual Bank of Montreal location. She found no sign of her friend and went straight to the Richmond detachment of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The lady at the front desk told her she'd need to wait 24 hours to report Cindy missing. Mm-hmm. But Agnes was undeterred and eventually convinced the RCMP to dispatch a patrol car to the mall. The officer shone his flashlight into Cindy's car and noticed blood on the driver's side door, prompting him to call for backup. Further analysis of the car found Cindy's purse on the front seat beside four bags of groceries and wrapped present. Her wallet, bank card, and an ATM deposit slip were found beneath the vehicle and looked to have been placed there rather than dropped, says who? Um, Just after 1 a.m. on on May 26th, Agnes let investigators into Cindy's home. It looked like she'd planned on returning home the previous day as she'd left a deck of cards on the table in preparation for her bridge game with the Woodcocks. That's, anyways. Mm -hmm. Nothing appeared out of the Woodcocks, make peace, like all these names. Anyways, nothing appeared out of the ordinary other than the fact that the drapes were open. Cindy had a habit of closing them before it got dark as she was worried someone would monitor her movements. Her car was towed to the police impound lot at 2.30 a.m. where it remained in storage until it could be examined in the daylight. Officers arrived at Roy's apartment around 3.16. Okay, so her ex-husband. They asked him of his whereabouts the previous day, to which he responded that he'd been at the opening of Bridgepoint Market with a female friend. After returning to Vancouver, the pair went to dinner and then to her home in Deep Cove, where he installed a stereo system. He left around 11.30 p.m. and arrived home sometime after midnight. This was confirmed by his friend. While they were speaking with Roy, he brought up two unusual messages that had been left on his answering machine in 1988. Both featured a raspy voice, which whispered, Cindy, dead meat, soon. And then the second message said, 
more smack, more downers, another grand after we waste. And then in parentheses, it says her. No more deal. And then that's it. So uh, weird, weird ass messages. He discussed the messages with his lawyer, but due to his distrust of the police, he hadn't brought them to the authorities. He also hadn't thought that they were related to Cindy at first, rather him. And he'd misheard Cindy in the first message as Sunday. This made him recall a time just before he'd received the calls in which he'd seen two strange individuals standing outside his apartment building. They'd left after noticing he was staring at them. What the fuck? What the fuck? I was lost when I first heard this story, and now I'm like even more lost. Um, So when the contents of Cindy's car were analyzed, an emphasis was placed on locating any hairs or fibers, and investigators saw that the heater had been turned on but set to defrost. The gear shift was in park, and the cassette player contained an Herb Alpert tape. Her hospital parking pass was on the dashboard, and the ashtray had been closed with six Cameo brand butts inside. Cindy's favorite brand. Between the front seats were numerous Bank of Montreal quick deposit slips and envelopes. The car's glove compartment contained maps, papers, and a Sofrex handheld emergency alarm. Yes, yes, we all need handheld alarms. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also a pad of paper toward the bottom with the words KDV 784, small, silver, gray, scrawled on the front page. It hadn't appeared to have been touched for some time, and a check for the license plate number didn't match a vehicle from British Columbia. Hmm. Shopping receipt found in the car indicated Cindy's last purchase uh, occurred at 12.43 p.m. the previous day, and they weren't for her groceries, however, but for a croquet set, wrapping paper, and the present found on her front seat. The bank slip found underneath shown that she deposited money at 7.58 p.m. Investigators contacted the bank and examined its records. Interviews were also conducted with anyone who'd used the ATM within 15 minutes of Cindy. Good thinking. Mm-hmm. A woman who'd used it at 8 p.m. recalled a blonde lady nearly driving into the side of her car. She'd been wearing a pink shirt and a shoulder length and had shoulder-length hair. Unfortunately, she couldn't say if it was Cindy. Another witness, a man used the machine at 8.01 p.m. and recalled seeing a blonde lady walking diagonally across the parking lot. He'd watched her walk for five to ten steps but didn't see her leave. She'd wore dark slacks and a blue jacket. When he recognized a photo of Cindy, he wasn't sure if she was the woman he'd seen. He agreed to to hypnosis. Oh, hypnosis. Oh, my goodness. So people are willing to be hypnotized for this woman? So he agreed to hypnosis and was able to recall that the woman had been wearing a boot-style shoe. He also remembered that there was no one in any of the vehicles in the parking lot. In, ser- in the search for Cindy, um, the search for Cindy encompassed the entirety of the rich of Richmond and included a helicopter that looked that took aerial photos of Blundell Center and a Canadian Coast Guard ho- hovercraft. So they did kind of look into this more than I thought. Um, Shoreline and dikes were searched, and um, Vancouver International Airport was searched in case she'd boarded a flight without informing anyone. Bus drivers whose routes included the mall were contacted, as were local residents and store owners. While many recognized Cindy, none recalling see, recalled seeing her on the 25th of May. A few days after Cindy went missing, Richard Johnston contacted police after a man phoned his company to inquire Cindy's life insurance policy. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. 
He'd claimed to be Otto Hack, so Johnston's secretary began providing the information. However, she soon remembered she wasn't permitted to share such details over the phone and asked him to visit the office to discuss the matter further. When asked, Otto denied making the call. <gasps> what the fuck? Her dad was like, that wasn't me. What the heck? Um, around the same time, someone sprayed some bitch died here on a fuel tank beside an abandoned house in Richmond about one mile from Blundell Center. An orange line was also painted from the tank to a spot in the grass where the outline of a body was also made. Somebody's really messing around. Yeah, I don't like that. If it was her, holy shit, that's kind of fucked. Um, this is notable as Cindy's body would later be found at this location. So before it was dumped, they found all this. So she was still alive. Um, and I'll – should I post pictures? They're not too graphic, but I'm going to post pictures of how her body was positioned um, when she succumbed to the morphine. And um, apparently it doesn't look like she was dead very long if her car was found way before her body and her body appeared fresh when it was found. So they had spray painted this area according to this site and um, – her body wasn't there yet, so that's very creepy. Um, Otto approached the media to elicit more information from the public, resulting in hundreds of tips being called in. Each was followed up on, but nothing was uncovered. On June 8, 1989, Cindy's body was found lying in the yard of the abandoned home. A male's blue denim jacket, initially reported to be Cindy's own suede coat that was later found in her closet, was found beneath the body. So she was wearing someone else's coat. An autopsy was conducted two days later, which found Cindy had been drugged and strangled. Similar to the previous attacks, a black nylon stocking was tied around her neck and her hands and feet were behind her back. She had a needle mark on her right arm and a toxicology report later showed that she had morphine, fluorazepam, and other drugs in her system, enough for an overdose. Ozzy Caban saw Cindy's body and noticed that she had blotching on her left side, which he believed to be post-mortem lividity. As she had been found lying on her right side, this indicated she'd likely been moved after death. She also found that the parching of her skin to be odd, to be odd and had rained. it had rained the days prior to her being found. He felt the remains should have shown more signs of being left out in the elements. Hmm. So her being moved after she died, that's yeah. like a big thing. That's true, because then where was she killed? And if her body was moved, yeah, she didn't do it. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm dead. I'm, okay, I'm mad now. <laughs> so now moving on to the investigation and then theories and aftermath, and then we're done. But um, And then we listen to that freaky-ass call. You might change your mind again. I don't know. Was she working with somebody? Who knows? Okay, so investigation, or lack thereof, it says. A memorial service was held on June 14, 1989. Investigators used hidden cameras to record the faces and license plates of everyone in attendance. While the RCMP and Vancouver police publicly said they were investigating a homicide, privately they believed Cindy had died by suicide. This leaked to the media, angering her parents. In an attempt to prove this, they visited Richmond General Hospital to see if any medications were missing. While Cindy was a nurse, she didn't have access to the drugs in her system, nor were doses missing from the hospital. Okay, good work. Ooh. However, they did learn she was known to have hoarded those drugs prescribed to her. Hmm. Damn. Can we have anything? <laughs> uh, 
give me something. Okay. Investigators also spent hours at the nearby Safeway grocery store uh, trying to reconstruct her grocery purchase. However, no matter what they did, their totals couldn't match those on the store's computer. What does that even matter? Maybe they bought random groceries to put in her car and then she they weren't bought by her. I don't know. The receipt didn't match what she bought, I guess. Did shit like, go on sale? I don't... Or, yeah, maybe it was that. That's, but what does that have to do with figuring out what the fuck happened to her? They're over here trying to... Right? They're over here fucking doing that instead <laughs> of thinking that her body was moved after. Like, come on. Let's pick and choose the right things here. Um, investigators also spent hours at the nearby Safeway grocery store um, trying to reconstruct. And it couldn't match the computer. Pat and Roy were investigated. And Pat is that officer that had stayed with her for about a month. And Roy, of course, is her ex. They were investigated and cleared on any involvement in the case. The man who ran away from Tom on the night of the basement fire was never identified. The official investigation into Cindy's death was closed in July of 1989. A coroner's inquest was held to determine Cindy's cause of death. Over 80 witnesses testified in what became the longest and most expensive inquest in British Columbia. An entomologist, ooh, that's a bug scientist, (laughs) y'all, took the stand to say... Cindy's body had likely been where it was found since June 2nd, 1989, meaning there was one week where her whereabouts remained unaccounted for. Following the testimonies, the jury determined Cindy had died on an unknown event and thus classified her death as undetermined. Despite the police and jury findings, Cindy's parents continued to believe that she was murdered. Appearing on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, Otto said, the police did not investigate the possibility of homicide. They zeroed in on trying to prove that she committed suicide. He also didn't believe that she would have been able to tie herself up after ingesting so many drugs and otherwise saying it would have taken 15 minutes um, and an hour for the drugs to take or half an hour for the drugs to take effect. So it could have been 15 minutes or 30 minutes, um, depending on how far she walked, if she was set this whole thing up herself. And then while a not tying expert said that it would have taken Cindy only three minutes to tie herself up in the manner that she was found. Her family also argued that there was no way her body could have been there, uh, been where it was for long as the home was located along a busy road. They were doubtful. No one would have noticed her as well. Records from environment Canada showed it had been unusually warm around that time Cindy went missing. If she had been dumped there for any length of time, it's likely someone would have smelled something. Mm-hmm. In 1992, Cabin and another private investigator, Wally Christensen, spoke to the Vancouver Sun about their belief that Cindy had been murdered. Okay, so now they're changing their little story. They cited the above normal temperatures as well as the fact that it had rained between May 25th and 27th, 1989. Not only... Had no one noticed the smell of a decomposing body, despite the fact that uh, it was a proven a construction worker was living in a van nearby, there's also been no dust or dew found on the remains, as well as there were no signs of animal activity. Uh, they also spoke of the cleanliness of the shoes that she was found wearing. This struck them as odd, as she would assume any clothing left out in the elements would show signs of dirt or wear. Speaking with the newspaper, they said, the shoes were like they'd been polished totally clean and spotless. That shows us that the shoes were not there for any length of time. Um, Other items not brought before the coroner's jury were also discussed. Caban brought up the fact that Cindy's slacks and underwear had been removed in the previous five attacks. 
all five of them. They didn't say she was naked from the waist down on all five. There's another thing that doesn't match, y'all. My bad. This appeared to have occurred during her death as well, with Caban claiming that the evidence showed no body secretions on the pants, despite some being present on her pantyhose and underwear. Okay, that's what I was looking for, too. What? Yeah, there were secretions found, um, some secretions found on her pantyhose and underwear, but not on the pants when she was killed. Okay, well, whose secretions were they? Hers That's what or I'm somebody saying. else? Did Canada have not, they didn't have like DNA stuff in the 1980s or what? Um, ah, this is frustrating. Anyways, finally, the pair discussed the jacket found under the body. While police had reported that it was folded neatly, it had actually been rumpled, signaling it had been dropped. This led Caban and Christensen's to just to theorize that Cindy was killed elsewhere and carried to the abandoned house in, in the jacket, likely six to eight hours prior to her body being discovered. There it is. I was like, okay, there so we go. That many hours. How long? Right. Um, so here's the theories that they list out here. Um, the first theory in this case states that Cindy was the victim of a homicide. Those who prescribe to this theory, including her parents, online sleuths and Christensen and Caban believe that this was for a number of reasons. The first is that nearly 100 harassing phone calls Cindy received in the years leading up to her murder and the five attacks she'd suffered. Um, while the police believed that she was the one behind all of this, it's hard to believe someone would go to so much trouble to make someone believe she was being harassed. And for what reason? A second point of note is that the strange man seen standing outside Cindy's house on the night of the basement fire. Um, it's unusual that he ran away when Tom asked him for help. Yeah, of course, to call for help. He might have been the one who started it. Believers of this theory also note the similarities between the condition Cindy's body was found in and previous attacks on her. Each time she was found with a black nylon stocking around her neck, and in the majority of instances, she'd had a needle mark on one of her arms and had been hogtied. As well, there's Caban's note about the state of dress Cindy was typically found in. In most cases, she was found almost entirely nude, and the evidence found on her body leans toward the likelihood that she was redressed before the body was dumped. Finally, there was the fact that the body was found in such a public area some two weeks after she went missing, even if one prescribes to the medical expert's theory that she'd been at the location for a week, that's seven days during which no one noticed anything out of the ordinary. If a body was exposed to the elements for days, there would be signs of decomposition, including a potent smell, which no one complained of. As well, there's the lividity Caban noticed during the autopsy, which indicates that her body was likely moved sometime after death. The police concluded that Cindy died by suicide after overdosing on morphine and flazepam. However, there are many holes in the story. The first is the fact that no drug paraphernalia was found with Cindy's body. If she'd injected herself or taken pills, there would have been needles or prescription bottles at the scene. As well, the hospital where she worked reported no instances of medication going missing. That being said, there is a possibility that Cindy could have used what she had in her medicine cabinet as she was known to hoard prescriptions. Given the severity of the tax, it is possible that she could have been prescribed morphine to control any pain she was suffering. Investigators also believe Cindy tied herself up based on the testimony of both the medical professional and the not expert at the coroner's inquest. This also lends itself to their belief that she faked the attacks on herself. If she had, it's likely she'd gone gotten better at making each scene look more realistic, um, meaning that she could have perfected how she tied herself up. However, many find it strange that she'd kill herself in this way, especially since her doctor had recently found no signs that she was suicidal. 
aftermath. Years after Cindy's death, Pat McBride was convicted on two counts of sexually assaulting women. What? Years after her death, the officer that had stayed in her home to protect her had two counts of sexual assault on his record. Fuck. So do you think... The cops could have been covering up this whole time. Like, if they were all messing with her, what if it was like a group bullying activity that they would do to this poor woman? Stop. Oh, my God. And maybe her ex was involved in it so that they could kind of act like they're questioning somebody. Yeah, but don't you think they would have been, like, pointing the finger at somebody else? I wonder if he was a... He wasn't a cop. I I forget what he did. Um, And, yeah, maybe they would have. Or, like, yeah, tried to frame... Frame it on somebody. And all that money, a a million dollars or almost two million dollars for her investigation, are they just like wasting time? They just wanted to look like they were working hard or what? I guess. If they if they did it, I am not allegedly, you know, if the cops were involved in this, but um this Pat McBride guy was not not good. And then um Melanie, I'm sorry, I don't know who that is, has written a book about her sister. Okay, so Cindy had siblings, so Melanie is one of her sisters. And she has set up a dedicated website, Who Killed My Sister, My Friend. This followed 14 years of research into Cindy's final days, including police reports, notes from the autopsy, and the toxicology report. Oh, so they still haven't given up, I don't think. And then her parents, Otto and Tilly, have since passed away, as has Roy, her ex-husband. Cindy's death was featured on on a host of television programs, including Unsolved Mysteries, A Current Affair, and CTV's W5. It's also been discussed on such podcasts as Case File and Crime Junkie. And give me the creeps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Vancouver Sun reporter Neil Hale... Neil Hall has written a book on the case, The Deaths of Cindy James. He has publicly said he agrees with the investigators that Cindy died by suicide. Other books have also been written about the case. Case contact information. Those with information regarding the case can contact Crime Stoppers anonymously at 1-800-222-8477 or contact Melanie directly at M-E-L-A-N-I-E hack, H-A-C-K, at gmail.com. And that is the wildly terrifying case of Cindy James. Wow. That was nuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now it's the moment that we've all been waiting for, which is the call. So here we go. Let's hear the message and let's see if we change our minds. So it says, Cindy, dead meat. That was fucking scary. It sounds so raspy and terrifying. But Um, now that I think about it, it sounds like an old lady that smoked cigarettes her whole life. Right. Or it could be her disguising her voice. (gasps) I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe it. You're right. Let's hear it again. Oh, God. Yeah, that sounds like a Ugh. lady. That sounds like a woman. It does, doesn't it? So, I mean, it could have been a group effort. I don't know. Um, or like I, I, my theory, my theory is when they weren't listening to her when she was finding like broken lights on her porch and shit, she escalated it because she wanted someone found. 
like she wanted them to take her more seriously. That's mm-hmm. my theory. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, if she had like psychotic breaks, that could also be it. But I don't know. I don't know either. That's... Her body being moved and shit. Like, yeah, that is. But, you know, it could have been like a fucking drifter like going through and he's like oh is this a fucking is she, is she oh, okay and, like that's what sucks too maybe the secretions were like not even from the killer if there was a killer i'm i'm saying like what how i mean women secrete shit too you know that's a good point and if they didn't test it how the fuck do they know it wasn't her or she just went and got somebody and like put some on her i don't know i don't know either uh, but um, at, I literally just found this thing on Erin. It's like E-A-R-O-N-S-G-S-K dot proboards.com. And it's talking about the East Area Rapist and the Night Stalker and the Golden State Killer. And so there's people on this thread um, discussing this case in 2017. And they seem to think that it sounds like one of those killers. It was able to, like, go to Canada and freaking sneak around over there. That's Because if you think about it, if they did travel, it was easier back then to just, like, hitchhike and get to Canada and stuff. And then the majority of their uh, crimes are, like, upper – or, you know, might be in, Cal- in um, California or Oregon or places like that and then in Canada. Yeah, but don't you think that somebody would remember giving those people rides – I don't know if people kept up with that. Back then, there were hitchhikers all over the place. And yeah, people but- have gone missing by hitchhiking, and they still haven't found them. Oh, my God. Fucking just I don't know. I'm just trying to. I'm reaching. Sorry. I am reaching. I have no idea. But um, they said it could have been somebody that was already in the act, but they just, you know, would kind of stalk her and not really kill her. I don't know. Playing games. Or maybe it was like a, a training for whenever they did start. They would practice like tying her up and getting her unconscious. Oh, and that's a good learn point. things. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go kill other people. And then they'd come back to her and practice some more. And then they'd go find somebody to actually murder. I don't know. Those are my theories, but I still have no idea what happened to Cindy James. That is nuts, dude. I am telling you. Well, that was that. Well, everyone, that was our 99th episode of Give Me the Creeps. Make sure you give us a follow over on Instagram and on Twitter and click on that link tree if you want to see all of our helpful resources that are linked on there. Don't forget to tell your family and friends about our podcast. And if you want to leave a review, leave it on Apple or if or whatever allows you to leave a review. Thank you guys so much for listening. So... Did we give you the creeps?